If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. My name is Rock Thomas. I'm the host of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. And you might be wondering, why do I do this every single week? Why do I interview people and talk about the importance of money? Well, I'm here to help you create financial freedom and fulfillment, the whole life millionaire. If you're working harder than ever before and not seeing any progress, you're not alone. If you don't have a supportive environment or network to raise your personal standards of success, you're not alone. But I would like to invite you to jump on a call with somebody on my team so you can change all of that. Just head over to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and learn how you can take your life and business to the next level by being in the right environment, surrounded by the right people and with the right strategies. So go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and let's start taking your life to the next level today. And welcome to the call, Anna Lynn. Hi, thanks for having me. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. I often have on entrepreneurs and people that are helping my listeners and community build their wealth and build their empires and that sort of thing. So you're going to bring a little bit of a different flavor for us today, and I'm excited about that. And everybody has a story. Everybody has a background. Everybody has labels they were given, and some of them serve them, and some of them sort of strangle them, and some people never get out from under them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and maybe some of the labels that you were presented with, and have you hung on to some of them, or have you changed some of them and become something something else? For sure. A um, little bit of all of the above. Um, I, I grew up in Georgia. I was homeschooled my entire primary, secondary education, and I graduated when I was 15. I moved to New York and studied acting at that time because I had to get out of my house where I grew up with a lot of childhood trauma. I would not actually remember most of the trauma until about 18 months, well, no, about 16 months ago. Yeah, so I was undergoing PTSD treatment in late 2018 when I uncovered memories of child sexual abuse. And so I've been working as the president of an anti-human trafficking organization for your ambassador for over 10 years, but president since 2016. And I've been so passionate about this issue and I've been very vocal. I'm a survivor of sexual assault when I was 19, which I talked openly about. And, and I thought that I had done all this work and I was good and I'd fixed myself. And oh, I basically was just like, why am I still pulling in negative energies, negative relationships or, or cycles that were just still a little too similar to the things that I'd been pulling in when I hadn't done any work. So it was really kind of confusing and I was getting frustrated and I sat down. Um, I have a crazy affinity for neuroscience. So I'm obsessed with the brain, obsessed with the body, mind-body dynamic. And so I'd known about the treatment of EMDR for a long time. 
but I was reading a friend's book and then I just became compelled to just go and do it finally. And I sat down with the doctor and I was like, I have fixed myself from here to here. I am good. What is wrong with me? You have to fix me because something's going on in the body. And, and I was, I was very cerebral. I, I had done all of this mind work and I had, I had found, you know, ways of, of re removing the, the narrative that had held me back. And I was, I had found forgiveness and found compassion and love and it was all inside my head and none of it in my body <laughs> so so the doctor was funny she started laughing she's like well this is what we focus on we focus on bodies so we can figure it out and rock it was crazy within I did two sessions of intake we went into processing I know very well how the psychology process goes because of all of my uh, my studies so I quickly like answered all the questions that I knew needed to be answered and was just like ready to get into the treatment. Cause I was like, I'm just going to get this treatment. This will be the last thing. And then I'll be fixed. I'll be good. And I can just move on with my life. <laughs> that was not what happened. Obviously. Um, I, the, the third session was our first processing session with the actual treatment. And I popped the bubble on years and years of latent memories of sexual abuse. And it was it was just earth shattering i mean this is the work that i do these are the kids that i help this is not my story this didn't happen to me i'm not a kid who was sexually abused i i, I mean i was just my my entire world was rocked and my narrative of my story of my Annalyn self and how I had come to be who I am all of a sudden got really, really, really messed up. And, and, and I didn't have, you know, a, any kind of grounding and I felt very, I was, I was splitting. I was feet like going in and out of the consciousness that had been frozen in my body all these years. So that child self was very, very much alive suddenly. And I couldn't contain when she would be, taking over my body and I would come out like I would speak in baby talk and, and like baby vocabulary but I had done so much mindful practice and meditation for seven years straight that I was literally capable of thinking from my own vocabulary as a 31 year old woman and it would come out in baby voice baby vocabulary I couldn't push through my presence it was a really profound experience because I knew what was happening. So half of me knows from neuroscience and from psychology and all these things that I've learned what my body was going through, which was obviously, you know, the way of, it's kind of referred to as disassociative identity disorder, but I wasn't disassociating from it. So I was experiencing the identity disorder part while being fully aware that it was happening and incapable of taking the reins back and having wow. my own voice. So I immediately got on a flight to Cambodia where the centers that I work with, I've been working for, like I said, for the last um, over a decade now. Um, and I contacted the founder who's a survivor of human trafficking. And I said, Somali, I am getting on a plane to see you, not as the president of this organization, not as an ambassador. I am coming as a girl that you need to rescue because I'm a mess. and." Wow. I landed in Cambodia. Two of the girls that I was able to put through college for psychology were my 24-7 care. 
through the night while I was going through this. So everything was just such a beautiful full circle healing experience to be able to, you know, just get to where my happy place is in the planet where there's so much love for me. And I have so much obviously love for my girls there. And, and there's a lot of, that's where I learned compassion and where I learned forgiveness and self-love and all these things was from these beautiful survivors and their resilience and to be able to be with them going through this and to not feel alone, to just feel like I'm one of the girls was really, really profound and within one night, like Somali's so funny. She's just like, she's rescued over 7,000 girls. She's like, oh, sister, I saved girls all time. Takes you five minutes, no problem. I'm like, this is a real thing. Like, I'm actually struggling here. She's like, five minutes, no problem. I'm like, she literally fixed me in five minutes. Within, after the first night of being there, I did not split again. I had been splitting every day, like multiple times a day since the um since the memories came back and got on the plane i think 10 days after and one day in cambodia with her and it was done and um i would continue to go on and have body relive so i would flash back kind of the way war veterans would grab their weapon and think they're on the battlefield mm -hmm. my body mm -hmm. would relive what actually happened to me and I would feel it inside my body. I would feel it like everything. Like it was, wow. it was as if it was happening. My body would involuntarily move with the rhythm. Like it was very, it was very harrowing at the same time. It was a complete split. And this is the thing that I really want people to know who deal with trauma, that, that they can totally reset their nervous system and fully not just heal, but I have the sense that this never happened. Not like I am, really? I am who I was meant to be before this happened. It's almost like the kind of the analogy I give is like I was this little light and, and someone put this dark thing on top of me. So I thought I was dark. But mm. when I got the dark thing off of me, I'm still that light, untouched, untainted, undamaged. And I believed I was damaged for so long. I believed I was, you know, I wasn't worthy of someone loving me unless they were using my body. Like I didn't have any self-worth and I, I had very low self-esteem and, and I was not the obvious victim. I was very defensive about all these feelings. So I was very like, fuck you. Like, you know, don't fall in love with me. What the fuck's your problem? Like I was like that. So, so I wasn't, I was like leather wearing spikes and, you know, like middle fingers to the sky. That was me. So, yeah. so really, really not person that people reach or even try to reach out to to support i i was so defensive about love that it would it, it would just you don't touch me with a 10-foot pole if you care like i i don't want anything to do with you like what do you pity me what's your problem like it was and this is something that i think that people don't always when they don't understand trauma they they have this concept of victims in their mind that they're they're going to be these sad people that need help and love and nurture. And that's not all the time the way it works with us. When I experienced extreme violence as a little girl. Um, and, and because of that, I became violent in my energy field. And, mm -hmm. and that meant that if you got close to me, you would experience my violence. And, and this is unfortunately what we create in our world, right? So, so the work that I'm doing now, launching uh, my movement, The Love Storm, is because I'm love and I'm a storm. <laughs> I was very violent and I've been able to transmute that violence 
into an intensity that I, I created with love, but I'll never lose that part of me. That's, that's a fierce little, you know, chickadee um, <laughs> who's out to make her way in the world happen. Um, but I'm thankful that it's coming from that light that had been hidden for so long in that dark little place. And now I can conjure all of that in, in a powerful way that I believe utilizing the tools that have helped me heal. It's, it seems like, you know, when you watch a movie and they start with the end at the beginning and then they go back and tell the story, yes. it kind of feels like you've had a life like that where you were living this life maybe with, uh, and maybe we can break it down a little bit because I think it might be useful is, so you, you left home at what age? I left home at 15. At 15. Mm -hmm. And when did you when did you start kind of the the, the anger side, the, the the darkness, the lashing out? Was that at a young age younger than that? It was a young age. I I definitely was I definitely had kind of was very internalized at that time. So I used it as fuel to follow my dreams to be an actress. Okay. And it didn't really fully, you didn't see it play out with partners. I, I, I didn't have a boyfriend until, well, I, I guess I'd been on my own for like a year and a half and I met someone and, and um, but we had a very, we had a beautiful, like really pure relationship, which is ironic considering everything. And I think that there was still, you know, um, there was still that child inside me that was still somewhat open even after everything that had happened. And, and I definitely had my fears and stuff that, that played into the relationship, but, but the anger hadn't materialized yet. And then I started having really bad nightmares when I was, uh, when I was 18, someone said something that triggered me and I started having really, really horrible nightmares and visceral, like dark, dark stuff. And and I had experienced what I would label domestic abuse in my home. It was disciplined, but it was extremely excessive and it left bruises for days. And it was, you know, I don't, I, I have a problem with people who hit children because I would see it as legalized violence against children. I don't understand how, you know, we will, I literally asked the question. So it's not okay if your husband comes home and hits you because, I mean, you didn't get dinner done on time. So are you sure? Like, I mean, you, dinner should have been done at six and he just hits you a little bit. And they're like, this is unacceptable. No, of course not. And I'm like, are you sure? But two grown adults can hit a small child and people seem to have right. no problem with that. I really have an issue with it. So you tell a child don't hit and you hit them to tell them to not hit. It's like the right. incredible logic that people live with. <laughs> Like, okay, yeah, who thought this through? But so, yeah, so, so I experienced that, and 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 then the, the nightmares came and the anger followed after. So, what inspired you if you're disconnected from what really happened to you to start helping with human trafficking before you were even really consciously aware of what you're you had experienced? What do you think happened there? Well, it's really interesting because I got out to Los Angeles, I thankfully started working. I uh, I was on the show Nip Tuck, which was um, kind of put me on the map, especially in the industry, because it was a very industry watch show uh, within the film and TV uh, industry. And right after that, I was offered the show 90210. And 
I didn't want to do the show. It was, I was a thespian and I didn't want to do some vapid little show about teenagers. I was like all like self-important. And I was also going through a moment where I just felt really unhappy. I, everybody was congratulating me on being so successful so early on. And I just like, talk about like wealth. <laughs> I did not have the wealth that mattered to me, which was wealth on the inside. Did you have a little imposter syndrome? I, I mean, I think that I it felt it, like you, you know, honestly, it was, it was just like, what did my nine-year-old self think that what, what's wrong with her? She thought that we were going to be happy doing this. Like I was like, she screwed me up. I need to leave. It was honestly, I just really thought that I'd gotten it all wrong. That, the, that my lifelong dream had just been a mistake. And I contacted my old acting partner in New York and I said, I'm coming back to New York. I'm going to work at Starbucks and find a new passion. I hate this town. I'm out of here. <laughs> He's like, you're an idiot. She always says, I never told you you're an idiot. Um, but in my mind, she was reprimanding me. And she was like, you have such a platform and you have such an opportunity. She was like Miss Florida State. She's been a humanitarian her whole life. She's always done all this great stuff. And she was the first one who educated me on the issue of human trafficking. And so she and I actually were about to celebrate our 10 year anniversary of going to Cambodia together in March, but she got me educated. She got me involved. She had me take 90210 with the, the idea that I was going to do it for something that was bigger than me. Mm -hmm. and, and that was really how it started. I got on the plane to Cambodia, thought I was going to go help and talk about not understanding victims, thinking I was going to go help these girls. They changed my life and then they changed my life again. And then years later, they saved my life, you know, and it's just been kind of, as you said, it's been kind of in reverse, but yeah, that's kind of how it played out. It's really cool. So tell me a little bit about some stages of your identity, how you saw yourself. So many of us in life su suffer from the, the I'm not enoughness. Hmm. And Brenny Brown talks about we wake up and, you know, we don't have enough sleep and we didn't have enough time and we don't have enough coffee and there's not enough gas in our car. Yeah. And, and I didn't do the presentation well enough and we get home and we've just beaten ourselves up. Yeah. And then we look for other things to fill us up, maybe a partner or maybe some drugs or alcohol or TV or gossip or what have you. And that's such a vicious cycle until we start to fall back in love with ourselves and accept ourselves and appreciate the journey we've gone through and start to really take those experiences as, as teachers and life lessons and then help others kind of grow through it. So were there some phases you saw yourself, you know, as a, as a young woman and as an actress and then take us to today? What are some of those different identities you've had? Absolutely. And I love Brene Brown. She's, the She's awesome. She's the queen. She helped me find vulnerability and see it not as a weakness, but as a strength. Yeah, so one of the major phases for sure was just an absolute, not even a belief, just an absolute knowing that I was not lovable, that there was something disgusting about me or gross or dirty and and owning that because that was my that was my defense mechanism. I'd be like, Oh, I'm dirty. Yeah, I'm fucking dirty. Yeah, what I, you know, like it was like that. And so I, I never drank. I never did drugs. I never even had a cigarette. But I was extremely addicted to my sexual life. That was the 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 way that I could turn off. And I would obviously come to find out that I was quite disassociative about that. Obviously. But that was the only time the thoughts would stop because I had a standard of perfection that no one could live up to. And, and I... For them or for you? 
for me and anyone who got close to me, obviously, could mm-hmm. they, there would there was zero tolerance, and I was I could be quite to use Tony Robbins' conscious level power god, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, quite ruthless, and yeah. I I saw things very. I had a little bit of blue too. I was very rigid at times of like this is the way the world works. And everything was based on all of my observations of of patterns and stuff in the world, and never asking, do I agree with them? Just that I never wanted to be on the other side of them. And it's ironic because now I literally do everything different than everybody. <laughs> I'm like I swim upstream, but at that time, the the sexual dynamic, like if I if that wasn't happening, I just didn't feel loved. Like I, I the second that it would stop, I, suddenly my love source went away, and like I needed another. Let's break that down for a second because I think the curse of being attractive is that you get a lot of opportunities to get attention. Yeah. And have you been able to recognize the difference between love and attention? Thankfully, now. And it's, <sighs> it's like, it's sad because, you know, especially for someone, I'm very, um, because I'm very much an internal person, and I process internally, I can be very gregarious. And when I speak or do the things that I do in my work, I can appear to be quite extroverted and all that, but it's very draining for me. And I actually value one-on-one experiences. That's how it fills me up. So the attention part that I was thinking I was seeking was actually just to be seen. I felt invisible. I felt that no one saw me because no one saw what was happening to me. So yeah, so I've thankfully been able to determine the difference now. And, and I see a lot of people who give me attention and I actually, my energy field feels drained from it, ironically. So it really is a, an alert system for me that this is not something that's valuable for myself inside. This is something that they're gaining value in, in, giving and thank you for your intentions but i'm okay (laughs) i love me now (laughs) um but yeah so that but but for that for the in the beginning of my life it was all i could all i saw it was constant like anybody just see me just love me just touch me just do you know all of that was was desperate and then it was in finding the work it became projection like it was I'm going to save everyone. I'm going to save everyone because I can't save myself. Oh, there's another one to save. Oh, look, another one. And I'm like dying on the inside. Yeah. Um, so then the, that was kind of my introduction to love was projection love is what I call it. And then it was healing. I started to begin that process of healing through external, that love that was unconditional, that was shown to me, that wasn't attention, that was genuine love. And it was a lot of times in Cambodia from my girls and now the love storm is because I just want to love this planet the way I have been loved and say thank you. And also, hopefully, it changed the energetic field in our world. That's what I learned a lot about myself in the last year and a half since all these memories came back, is that my energy field, like what has shifted, has been miraculous, but it's only been energy. Nothing changed. I'm still me. I'm still my own self. Like the only thing that changed was this dark energy is no longer a part of my cells and my body. 
my system is reset and I float in an energy field that's much higher and it's attractive to people in a different way than that kind of dark energy pulls people in in a way. Right. right? And, and I'm so thankful that I understand that. And Dr. Joe Dispenza has been someone that I, you know, like I was just listening to his book, Becoming Supernatural again, um, before we, we jumped on the podcast because we have to, we literally have to dive into the cells and dive into the inside of us and release those things. And, and it's simpler than we think. Breathwork has been the biggest thing, somatic breathwork, doing like stomach heart breath and getting trapped energy out of my cells, bringing oxygen and life to my parts of my body that have been frozen off. We wonder why we get diseases and we have parts of our bodies that are frozen and from trauma. It's like, oh, two plus two equals four. So I'm feeling so much, even I, I got sick because um, everybody's been going through something and the way my body regenerates and heals is like unbelievable now. It's like all of it, I see such a big difference. Are you, um, do you practice, are you vegetarian or vegan or do you eat just whatever you want? I eat pretty much everything in moderation. I would say most of it is, is vegetarian. Um, I do like my chicken sometimes, but, um, <laughs> but I, I mean that it's very, you know, I just kind of listen to my body. Um, but yeah, I'm very kind of just keeping nothing in excess is, is right. my, I see that if there's anything in excess in your life, use it as a red flag because it's saying something to you. It's saying, hi, mm -hmm. something's off kilter. So the work you did from what I understand you saying is that you had experiences in your life, you had memories in your cells. And even though in uh, cognitively you were able to disassociate from it, those were still living in your in your system and they were starting to talk to you and they're starting to create disturbances. Yes. But you were able to take take what was inside of that and release it and then yes. create space for for new light. Is that is about right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The the releasing part being, you know, obviously it requires you to do some kind of work, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's like, Oh, I want to release whatever is here and it goes away. It's, it, you know, uh, but it, it tends to be in mind body practice that you can, you know, and you'll release it in different ways. You might never remember whatever it is and be able to release the energy of it. Some people do that. Some people use plant medicine. Some people use, you know, like I said, breath work or, uh, Mushrooms, meditation, mushrooms, like all of these different things that are that our world has available to us. Um, we just, you know, we tend to diminish the cures and and promote the treatment. You know, it's this really interesting, you know, thing about the Western world. But I, I've always been obsessed with the Eastern way of things, so I oftentimes deferred to Eastern forms of treatment, and that has majorly helped me in in this process and in getting fully aware where i listen i check in with body which i call baby baby was you know zero to 12 before the thinking brain really starts baby's feeling the world through the body so so much of what the body is is actually baby taking in the world right so mm -hmm. the years that i was going through this it was just body 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 being traumatized so mommy is the brain and I, mommy checks in with baby body, like, how are you feeling? And if my nervous system is dysregulated, 
that's going to set everything off because it's going to send messages through the RNS messaging system in the, in the brain, uh, in the body, excuse me, in the nervous system up to the brain and say, Hey, I want, I want to go buy something. I want to eat something. I want to drink something. I, like it's trying to regulate the nervous system. That's what we're constantly doing throughout our lives. There's an incredible book called the invisible lion by a neuroscientist friend of mine, Benjamin Fry. And it basically puts every, breaks everything down in all of our lives. Little T trauma, big T trauma. That means if you get in a car accident, if you have, you know, abuse trauma, if you have natural disaster, what that is, it'll trigger dysregulation in the nervous system. And if that dysregulation energy gets frozen or trapped, that's trauma in the body. It's not what happens to you. It's the fact that you were not able to utilize your survival instinct and the survival instinct got trapped. So my legs wanted to run for years and years. My legs would go numb in bed with a partner. Like if I like a new partner, if I didn't feel comfortable, my legs would go completely numb all night. I'd stay awake all night. It was like, it was really, you know, an issue for my sleeping patterns. Um, and that's one of the things, thankfully, that's been healed as a result of doing the treatment I've done and, and getting these memories out of my body. Um, I don't deal with that anymore. But we're, people call it restless leg syndrome. They have all these different names. For I them. have that. Yeah, like there, a lot of it is just trapped energy and it's trying mm. to get out and it can't that's get out until you're fully relaxed. And when do we fully relax? When we're falling asleep, right? Mm. It typically mm. happens right in that sweet spot. So I don't, I don't know if you're aware, but I had a uh, goal cast video that came out two years ago that went viral okay. and a hundred million people have seen it. Holy shit. And it's my story of uh, my, you know, I grew up on a farm and there was, there was basically a lot of neglect and I had to do my chores without getting, um, I couldn't eat before I did my chores, et cetera. Yeah. Youngest of seven children, uh, always trying to make my dad proud, but never succeeded. And when it came out, I started to get literally tens of thousands of people reaching out. And about now we're up to about 150 or 200 people that said they were going to commit suicide. And that when they understood that, that our parents label us or our caregivers label us, they say, you're stupid. You won't amount to much. Yeah. Um, you're bad with numbers. You're shy, whatever it is. And some good ones too. You're funny, et cetera that when they understood the concept. So my story is this, I had a lot of acne growing up. My brothers called me pizza face. Yeah. I thought that I was terribly ugly yeah. and I couldn't string a sentence together. So I uh, thought I was ugly and stupid, not a combination I recommend. Yeah. And so I stopped going to school. I pretended I was sick and then I fell behind in school. And then I met a mentor who taught me the power of your identity statements and that you can re um, rebrand yourself, if you will. Yeah. And he said, who's somebody you admire and you'd like to, you know, model. And I said, well, Tom Cruise, <laughs> but I'm not as cute as Tom Cruise. You know, I'm a little bit rougher. <laughs> and, um, I said, maybe Clint Eastwood. Mm. And when I said that my face lit up and he goes, that's it. Say it again. Oh, chills. I got chills. <laughs> and so we came up with the label of ruggedly handsome. Yes. And so I went from pizza face to ruggedly handsome. Mm. And then I started to just say it over and over and over again. And I remember driving in my car, just saying it and crying mm. because I, I could feel part of me that, 
that label of pizza face or that label of shy or whatever. Everybody I say everybody has a pizza face yeah. that somebody gave them. Yeah. And the ability to know that you can change is what was came through this message in the Goldcast video and literally had people that were burning themselves every day and terrible yeah. telling me that they got a job based on that yeah. one video. So you are definitely an empath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you take what you went through, what I went through and take the tools? What are the tools you would recommend to somebody? Because I think that in many ways, what I've given them is the cognitive, but there's probably some, some stuff left in their physical body. So what would you recommend to people? For sure. Well, for one, thank you for sharing your story. And I, I suffered severe acne too. My mom had adult acne and as an actress, like I had it all over my face, like cystic, mm. like it was really, really embarrassing. It's really tough on a teenager. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But yeah, I, it, I definitely do know that, that the mind will take us pretty far, but only so far. And then we do have to activate the body. So, so for me, there, the, the main thing that I do is um, now is I start with my kind of my inner child. So, cause that's where, that's who was left out of my life for a long time. And, and we, in my opinion, that is also the key to freedom, right? So when we were free, we were little, right? Before yeah. we believed in these labels, before we knew what labels were, we were just free. Mm-hmm. And when we remember freedom, we have to see ourselves as little ch- children. And so I do a little bit of a I, um, inner child meditation and I'll ask you know you to close your eyes and take a deep breath and, and kind of do five centering breaths and then get a really clear image of yourself as a child and really see that little girl or that little boy and look him or her in the face and just take that child's face into your hands and say, I'm so sorry for all of your pain. I'm so sorry for all the times that you felt unseen, for all the times you felt unheard. I'm so sorry that you felt invisible, that you felt ugly, that you felt that you weren't smart enough or pretty enough or intelligent enough or funny enough or whatever it is and give that validation to the body, which is baby, as I was saying. So really validate the pain, not trying to keep the narrative going. We don't want to keep the narrative going. It's not about that, but it is about seeing baby for the first time because the child often was never seen when that pain was there. So we see the pain and we say, mommy's here now, daddy's here now. And I'm never going to leave you in that pain again. You'll get hurt sometimes, but I will never leave you in that pain. I'll never leave you unseen. I'll never leave you unheard. And I'll never leave you hurting anymore. And I check in with myself and I have that little girl in my mind at all times. I'll pop in there and she's got cotton candy. I don't know where she gets cotton candy from, but she has cotton candy. As long as she's happy, she has cotton candy in her hand. So I can literally look inside my mind and see my six-year-old self. And if she's holding cotton candy, we're good. (laughs) But, but I will check in and, and the, it's interesting because we have an entire internal world and we just don't understand it because we haven't, 
proven it. We don't like, it's, it's crazy. It's like, we all can experience it. You feel it. You can't touch the wind, right? You can't hold it. You can't harness it, but you feel it. Your wind, your hair, well, your hair might not blow that much, <laughs> but you feel it on your face rock. <laughs> My hair will blow in the wind. Um, but you know what I mean? Like there is, there is this internal internal world and we don't let the inner child out enough so so for me the biggest key to to breaking down these labels and these these things that have held us back and and releasing in the body is to there's a saying the little child will lead us right the the is actually going in and making it um, making it apparent that you know that kind of separation, really acknowledging that there's a separate adult self from the child self, and and asking like closing your eyes, praying if you believe in prayer or meditation. If you believe in meditation, they aren't mutually exclusive, even though some people think they are. But that has been a huge thing, and and incorporating the breath work actually activates DMT. The lungs are the biggest part of the body that will operating system yeah yeah and um that's really profound that's awesome thank you for sharing that so i have a daughter who is uh, a model in uh in los angeles and an aspiring actress and she is um 25 she got a um, a world gig, uh, I guess, an international gig with guests. She was on uh, every guest um, outlet for, I think, last year for a fall kind of promotion. And she she's now gotten to a stage, though, that that environment she finds a little bit toxic, fake, whatever you want to use, right? People, there's certain things that that are required if you want to climb the corporate ladder in that world. And she's finding that not necessarily where she wants to go anymore. So how do you take, you're in that environment, how do you take an environment that, that can have that pressure or those types of energies stay centered and, and connected to your inner child and serve this other community of helping these, these girls? How do you mix all those worlds? Well, I mentioned I have multiple personality disorder. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) Um, We're we're the only ones admitting it. That's all. (laughs) Um, No, I I mean, that was a big, she's obviously, she's a beautiful soul and clearly has learned some things from her father. Um, But she, she's obviously experiencing kind of similar to what I was experiencing when I didn't want to do 90210 and I didn't want to be in this town anymore. And, And it is, it's, if you don't conform, you must be an outcast. And I'm now very happy to be an outcast, but, but it's, you know, we're, it goes against biology. We're, we're, we're trained biologically to save our species, to not be the outcast. So I understand. And I think that really the thing that I do personally is I make, <laughs> I make my way of life the way that I think is normal. And I put this energy out there where I'm like, oh wait, you don't do it my way. <laughs> like I, I literally know that my way is strange. I'm like, oh wait, you guys are gonna do that? No. Oh, I know everyone does it. That's why I wouldn't if I were you. So I have nice. this kind of energy where I almost like use the, the game against itself. Or I'm right. like, oh, I mean, if you're not, you know, 
trendsetting and like, what are you really doing? You're just copying everyone, aren't you? And then like, so I have an element of that when I'm, when I'm in those settings. Very um, clever. And I, I'm thankful that being homeschooled, I never understood peer pressure. So, so mm. I don't, thankfully, I'm not very susceptible to it. And, and as a result, I think that I am able to kind of flip it on its head. But, but it is something where you're in an industry that praises ego and diminishes you if you don't have one. And that was what mm -hmm. was very hard for me in coming full circle with everything is that if you aren't the one who's pushing to the front of the line because you're more famous than someone else or whatever it is, they think that you're not and they'll leave you in the dust. And, and so then there's this element of like, wow, I'm literally being punished for not having an ego. And so in those settings, I absolutely understand, you know, and I think that for me, what I've chosen is that every moment, every job, every, every interview, every experience in which I find myself, there is one person for whom I'm at that place at that moment in time. And there's one reason, and I always find it. And it's, you know, someone, you know, as you were saying, I've had a lot of people reach out to me about suicidal and self-harming because I've done those things I've attempted and, and I've self-harmed and all of that. And I've always, I always find someone there that I'm meant to be there for. So if your daughter does continue in that, or if people are working in any industry that has these kinds of qualities, um, for lack of a better word, qualities, um, the finding, knowing that you're leading with your purpose, right? My purpose is to love storm every moment of the rest of my life. And, and that means that how do I bring a storm of love into an ego filled room? And I did it actually for the first time in my entire career, I was at the Golden Globes Amazon party and I enjoyed the entire, from the time I arrived to the time I left, I enjoyed the entire party because I was only being in my own light and my own love. And, and I was, I was smiling. I went up to one of my friends wanted a picture with an actress. And normally that's like, you know, no other actor would ask another actor because that means that you're like making them more important than you. And like, there's all these crazy stupid little rules. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, my friend would love a picture with you. You're so amazing. And like, it was, there was no, it was just nothing left. I don't, I have nothing but love here for the people on this planet and the everything on this planet. And, and um, I have only compassion. The love storm is that it's a compassion meditation in 20 plus cities around the world, because that's what I was sending to the person who did the things that happened to me when I was a child. I was sending him compassion to help heal myself. And then I was doing this compassion meditation for him. So that's that's honestly my long-winded answer but it's it's that's mm -hmm. finding one person or one reason for every moment nice. so let's get to a bit more of a rapid fire section i want to ask you just a couple of things and then talk a little bit about your future tony robbins what do you get out of that environment oh my gosh i, I am not normally good in big <laughs> massive settings like that so it was really great to challenge myself and and to see that community is actually something so important even when you're a loner and you're water i'm like wood and then i turn into water when i need like to breathe and 
So I really, community was a major thing. And also I realized that my contribution and growth, which are the number, they've always been my top for everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were driven by a little bit of need for significance. And I was able mm -hmm. to release that during the week uh, with Tony, which was awesome. Yeah, that's well said. I think a lot of people don't realize how much they use significance to get the other human needs met. So getting clear on that is very helpful. Tell me what this love storm, what is love to you? Because I think it's different for everybody. So how would you characterize love? Yeah, for me, love is absolute acceptance of what is. So nothing, everything is bad, is good, is okay, is love. I, I fully accept that, that I, I can do as much as I can do in the world, and that is what I can do, and I accept. I am as much as I can be in the world, and I accept. You are what you are in the world, I accept. So it's, it's, it's full acceptance without judgment. That's love to me. Give me three quick practices in order to develop that part of you. Okay, compassion. Uh, we, you can do the Hoponono, I think it's called. Um, I'm sorry, I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you, which I do every day. Um, also, the meta meditation, which is what we're doing with the love storm, which is may I be happy, may I be at peace, may I be free from suffering, may you be happy, someone I love, someone I don't very much like, and then to the world. Um, so that meditation is a really profound meditation to do focused compassion work. And that grows that kind of love. And finally, do something fun. I, it's my dream to create playgrounds for adults around like a, a chain of playgrounds where that are in companies and airports like around so that we remember to be free and children are love. If you hang out with a dog or a cat or a kid, you know, uh, for a period of time every week, just you'll learn what love is. Yeah, for sure. So what are your, some of your big goals now? You, you just recently, it seems in the last 18 months or so, had some really big shifts in your life. Yeah. What now is on the horizon for Annalyn in the next five to 10 years? Well, now I am thanks to Byron Katie. Um, I, I know that this narrative is, is nothing and everything. So it is what I want to create it to be. I truly believe I found my path with this, uh, with this movement, with Love Storm, because my biggest desire is to engage with the youth and and young people and the people at large people in general but but especially our future humans and work in prevention of slavery so so i'm fighting slavery of the body but also of the mind and that's the point of the love storm so i want before those labels and chains get on our kids i want to be a part of breaking the cycles that have created them to begin with and we do that by inviting awareness and in consciousness and higher consciousness. And, and the kids today are open to everything and it is really, really nice. So I'm hoping to continue that. I want to at some point have a university that educates educators so that we really, really focus on what we're teaching children, EQ over IQ, including IQ, but EQ being more important. How do you navigate the world if you don't have emotional intelligence? I don't know. Um, it is something that we must have. And, and teachers are 
one of the biggest influences on little kids. Mm -hmm. And if they come in with a bad day and their energy is affecting baby body energy, you just, it just becomes a spiral. So it's a dream of mine. Very nice. And so if people want to support you, contribute to any of your causes, what, how do they go about that? They can go to Together One Heart. Actually, it's probably better if they go to thelovestorm.com because then you have the access to go to my charity or to donate to, to the storm itself, to the campaign. Um, so thelovestorm.com, and that gives you kind of what we're doing and the cities we're going to, and we're adding cities um, because people keep coming up and we're like, we have a network in this city. We want you to be here. And we're just, we're letting it unfold. We don't have, uh, we're not attached to an outcome. Nice. <laughs> that thing that we like to do that screws us all up. <laughs> we're not attaching to outcomes. So we don't know what's going to happen. Everyone's like, how many people are coming? I'm like, I don't know. It's a free invite. We didn't make people pay for it. So we can't really, re some people register, some people don't. Some people show up. Like, it's going to be amazing. But cool. yeah, so thelovestorm.com or you can follow me at the Annalyn McCord on Instagram and uh, Facebook. So let's end this call today by me asking you to share with us how you see yourself today. The words that follow, I am, follow Anna McCord, Annalyn McCord. Yes. So how do you, when you have your inner narrative, you've got your baby body, you've got your mama. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, how, do you, how do you talk to yourself what labels do you give yourself that, um, that you could share with us? Well, my top two are I am love, I am compassion. And when you meet me and talk to me, you immediately feel that because it's really all that I focus on now mm -hmm. and what we focus on, we become. And I am success too. And the success that I define is very different. There's a saying that says some people are so poor, all they have is money. And I love that because I'm really, really wealthy now because it's all just happy. I, I don't just have happiness, actually. I am joyful every day. And that is such a huge difference in everything. I am lovable. I am deserving. I am worthy. I am cherished. These are all things that that I remind my little baby self of and, and, and they make me feel that I, uh, I am acknowledging the soul inside this house uh, for who she really is. And, and I'm thankful for that. So I'm grateful is another one. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm going to ask a bonus question for the young women that probably are following you and are inspired by you that maybe haven't yet gotten to a place where they're in love with their body for whatever reason, what do you tell them? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's hard because in the, when you're in that place, right, the, you're also looking from the eyes of pain, right? So mm -hmm. the eyes of my pain would look at my body and think I was too little. Like I, I couldn't keep weight on. I was always really, I, I felt very not feminine. I felt very kind of boyish. And if you're, you know, you're, you feel you're overweight, how that makes you feel. And the, there's many different things that you can say to a woman, you know, who's dealing with that. It's like, oh, there's guys who love all types and all this stuff. And it's all externally focused. Right. But, it, but it's, 
how do you feel when you think the thought? Byron Katie asked that question, and I use it a lot because mm -hmm. how do you feel when you think the thought that your your body's not beautiful? And when you answer that question, it can't be good, right? It, right. It's not good. And so then she follows that with, well, who would you be if you could never think the thought? My body's not beautiful. Like I'd be someone who doesn't think that I'm not beautiful, right? Right. And and it's really profound the effect that it's had. Uh, and and but I also ask, do you want change? Do you want healing? Some people don't. Right. And I and and they'll go, of course I do. Of course. No, no, no. It's not in a course. Do you want change? Because mm -hmm. it requires you to do something uncomfortable. It requires right. you to get out of your comfort zone. So. If I'm here, I will support you. But if you don't want this for yourself, I got a, I got a queue of other little ladies and gentlemen who I'd love to be a part of their journeys because they do want change. So please respect your time and respect mine. If you want to go on talking about how sad your story is, be my guest out the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I also have, I respect the work that I've done and I respect people who do the work. So I'm here to show up for people who are showing up for themselves. So there is an element of that too, of accountability. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so if you want that, I've got all, I've got a list of books. I got a list of gurus. I got a list of, I'm not your gurus. Um, but it's, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think that that, that narrative is, is a difficult one for women, but they do need to want out of it. And that's key. That's awesome. Anna Lynn, I want to thank you so much for taking your valuable time. I know you're a very, very popular young woman and uh, you have a lot of people that you want to serve. And hopefully there's a bunch of ears that have heard you that can now follow you. And, you know, you're, you're a beautiful package of somebody who's experienced a lot. I've, I've worked with a lot of people and you seem to have manifested some really good um, ways of dealing with it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And thank you for what you're doing for our world to make this place a better place for people. I really appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. So may our paths cross one day and until then keep up the great work and uh, we'll do whatever we can to support your wonderful cause. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rock. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.